The number of responsibilities and opportunities involved when starting a business or becoming a leader within an organization can overwhelm the best of us. It certainly overwhelmed David and Matthew. Join the two hosts as they interview successful leaders about their journey to leadership, including victories, failures, and realizations. This is Like It's Your Job, a podcast from TSG Publishing. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Like It's Your Job, a business podcast focused on entrepreneurs. I'm David Shields. And I'm Matt Shields. And welcome. Today, we have a, uh, an excellent guest that Matt and I are really excited about, Rain Steinberg. Rain is the Chief Executive Officer of ARCA, and in his role, Rain leads the overall direction of the company and is responsible for security structuring and risk management. Prior to founding ARCA, Rain co-founded asset management company Wisdom Tree. There, he was responsible for raising capital, creating intellectual property, and building and overseeing the sales team responsible for raising $50 billion in ETF assets under management. Rain holds a Bachelor of Science degree in economics from the Wharton School of Business. Good morning, Rain. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Morning, Matt and David. Thanks for having me. Good to have you on, Rain. Fantastic to be here. This is going to be a great conversation, Rain, because as we kind of talked in some of our pre-production, this is not a topic that uh, that I'm super familiar about. It's one that I'm passionate about. I, I can't wait to learn a little bit more about digital assets and your experience and, and kind of your your uh, your thoughts and feelings on on where we've been and, and where we have left to go. I know this is a huge passion project for Matt. Yeah, yeah, definitely interested in it. So before we get into the brunt of the conversation, Rain, why don't you tell us a little bit about ARCA? You know, I think you're the kind of the brainchild behind it. So let's talk about a little bit about what you guys do and and how you deliver services to your clients. Sure, thanks for the uh, kind words. <laughs> I am the brainchild in uh, only that I get to oversee a, a tremendously talented uh, group of individuals, which I think uh, you'll see runs through a thread of kind of everything you do. You really need a great team um, in this space, like all things, but in this space particularly. Um, so ARCA is an institutional grade asset manager focused on digital assets. Um, we serve uh, pensions, endowments, high net worth individuals, and our thesis uh, was that that channel, institutional um, allocators, was really underserved when it came to digital assets. They have higher risk thresholds, um, fiduciary duty, um, they're used to dealing with established brands, there's tremendous employment risk, reputation risk for them to allocate in this space, or even any new uh, you know, manager in general, and that's you know, magnified or amplified with digital assets. Um, so that was the thesis around ARCA, that that was underserved, that we we're going to create a um, basically a top-notch firm to address that. We have two sides of the business, an active management practice uh, run by uh, one of my co-founders, Jeff Dorman, our CIO, um, and that's active hedge funds to give sophisticated investors exposure to the space as an investment. And then ARCA Labs, um, which is our innovation arm where we're creating uh, better asset management products that are energized by blockchain. So more liquidity, more transferability, all the promises of blockchain, but applied to uh, asset management. Well, um, as everybody can probably see, Rain's the, the perfect person to talk a little bit about our uh, main topic today, which is including co uh, tokens on your capital stack and uh, some processes and kind of the future of incentivizing customers through tokens, even though your business may not be um, either digitized or in digital assets in general. So thank you, Ray. Yeah, lots of opportunity to be a first leader in your industry here. You know, we've seen an explosion 
over the last few years in, in DeFi, decentralized finance, and the use cases available to, to customers that are willing to utilize the blockchain for, for some of their financial transactions. But it doesn't have to stop there, right? The other case becomes NFTs, right? Where you're buying artwork or badges for esports teams or whatever it may be. Um, again, on the blockchain, not necessarily re related to DeFi, uh, but you know, there's there's a million other ways to utilize the technology, be it internally for uh, supply chain management or externally to have your customers sort of like a loyalty program, right? And something Rain that you and I have talked about in the past to incentivize customers to drive their friends there, to go there for NFL games, whatever it may be. So excited to, to dig into that a little bit, talk about some of those use cases and, and you know, talk about how it can actually get done and, and how ARCA might be able to help right, at the end of the day. Sure, yeah, I would love to do that. Um, wherever you want to take the conversation. Um, I would say just broadly, uh, when people think about this, a good analog is the way the internet changed the way we do business. So the internet made information ubiquitous, free, um, and everywhere. And when you started out with the internet and TCP IP and things like that, it seemed very specific and technical. And it was hard to see kind of the broad reaching, um, you know, effect it would have on society and the way we do business. Same thing for blockchain. It makes the transference of value, um, you know, at scale, potentially ubiquitous and free and breaks down some of the barriers. So where right now, a lot of the opportunities that we see are around you know, exchanges, dealing with crypto, very crypto specific. Um, as this technology evolves and broadens, uh, you see more mainstream uh, use cases that kind of apply to potentially everybody's business. Yeah, as a store of value, it's interesting because we think of, you know, obviously that, you know, everybody kind of thinks of money as a store of value, but it's really uh, decentralizing, not just a store of value, but it allows you to personalize what value means to you. And one of the, one of the topics that I'm interested in, in kind of getting to today is how businesses can say, if you wanna patronize our business, right? You can do a, a business specific coin or a business specific NFT that allows uh, customers or patrons or, or you know, whoever wants to, to store value that's specific to that business and not necessarily specific to uh, money or Bitcoin or anything else. Uh, it's a whole new kind of idea of value and ownership, which is pretty interesting. Absolutely. Um, the way we think about it here at ARCA, which might be helpful for people, um, is kind of a basic taxonomy and the way you break them down. So one of the problems or challenges really in this space is that the first digital asset, and we say digital assets because it's broader than cryptocurrencies. So the first digital asset was Bitcoin, and Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency. And a currency is a means of transference, a money, an exchange of value, uh, things like that. Um, but it's only one type of digital asset. Because it was first, um, it really took up a lot of the narrative and became the biggest. But I think if you think about how these things evolve, it's similar to um, like a biological ecosystem or the way we think about that. Um, biologically, pre-Darwin and pre-Linnaeus, you had one way of describing the world, a taxonomy. Now, as it evolved, those things changed. Now, the world didn't change, the way we understood it changed. So right now, Bitcoin takes up a lot of that narrative and gravitation just because of its size, but it's actually one of the 
least interesting and kind of most basic uses of digital assets, the things that you're describing, energizing and aligning a customer base, stakeholder alignment, um, you know, bootstrapping of capital, all of these things are things that uh, cryptocurrency or digital assets really can help with that have nothing to do with money. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's going to revolutionize ownership, chain of custody. And uh, yeah, I mean, we were experimenting with blockchain at Fortune 100s at Deloitte. Um, you know, everybody's still trying to find a way to utilize it at enterprise scale, right? In traditional business models. And they'll get there to your point. It's just a matter of time. It takes a little bit of creativity, right? To get there, to understand both the technology itself and the business model in which it's going to be applied to so intrinsically that it's just natural for the vision to come together. And we're just, there's a little bit of an education gap and I know that we'll, we'll get there uh, in, the, in the show today. So to kick off the actual meat and, meat and potatoes of the show here, um, I think we're gonna start with uh, the quote that you provided, which uh, is from Julius Caesar, which is obviously by Shakespeare. And that is, there is a tide in the affairs of men, which taken at the flood, leads on to fortune omitted all the voyages all the voyages of their life is bound in shallows and in miseries on such a full sea are we now afloat and we must take the current when it serves or we lose our ventures and that is brutus to cassius so talk a little bit about why you chose that quote how it's applicable to digital assets or however you may take it sure um, so first of all, uh, for quotes that I like and ideas, I think they have to be beautiful and interesting. And um, I love language. Um, so Shakespeare, uh, just a fantastic uh, voice, you know, take it at the flood. You know, this is some, you know, great language, first of all. The message um, that you really have to seize uh, your opportunities uh, when they come. They're, you're probably presented maybe one to ten, uh, you know, truly uh, unique and differentiated uh, opportunities in your lifetime. And if you're not prepared um, to actually go forward uh, when they happen, um, you you might miss them. So, uh, you know, it's a very important message, you know, generally in entrepreneurship, um, you know, appropriate risk taking, things like that. And then the final piece that I think that's interesting for digital assets, and I think also, you know, society generally, is I feel like we're suffering from a little bit of historical uh, myopic views that a lot of this is repeating. There's a lot to be learned from history. There's a lot to be learned from uh, reading. A, a lot to do with uh, digital assets, even though it seems like a technological revolution is a lot more about a narrative expansion and how we think about that decentralized power versus centralized power uh, and some of the effects. So I encourage people, um, it, it seems counterintuitive, it's less about technologically understanding um, issues and more about the philosophical. A lot of the things, the implementation, the difference between a success and not is how people take it and how people use it. You can have the best technology that people don't understand and then don't implement, but a great narrative might be a far inferior technology that ends up winning out. So to understand narrative stories um, and history, I think is also important. Yeah, you know, you made a, you made a good point. I, I've, I said the entire time I was at Deloitte, adoption of any new tool or technology in the Fortune 500 is one of the biggest risks of any software implementation. You can spend as much money as you want. The tool could be the best 
the best for your business. It can make you a market leader. But if your employees don't use it, if your team doesn't adopt the technology, it really doesn't matter, right? You'll continue to use Excel to do all of your financial planning or whatever it may be because it's familiar and it's easy and trainable and whatever, whatever you want to, whatever excuse you want to make. It doesn't necessarily make it better. People, people overlook that um, at businesses. One of my probably most salient experiences was doing a CRM implementation at Wisdom Tree um, and getting people to use Salesforce. Um, and it was transformative, but you had to teach them that it would make their job easier, their life easier. And I've had failed implementations of things that seemed obvious. Um, usually it's too complex and overly, uh, you know, this is the stuff that gets in the way. And adoption, like you say, the number one of the number one things that people, until you've had a failed rollout of something um, that you thought was going to be transformative and great, and you have to go back and post mortem it, uh, it, it's hard to understand uh, how you can fall down at adoption. Yeah, you know, and uh, people I'm sure were like, I have to write notes after my meeting in Salesforce. I, I just, it's all in my head. That's how I sell. Like, you know, okay, well, let's change our habits a little bit here so we can stay a little bit more organized. Another reason why I like this quote is it has this sense of, uh, you know, I mean, it says it there, the current is moving, right? You, if you're sailing from England to the United States, right? Back in, in the 14, 1500s, you might be off 300 miles, 400 miles north or south, but the wind's still going to carry you east to west and you're still going to get to the other continent it's just might be a little bit of a different journey than you got there it doesn't mean that you shouldn't go from england to north america it just means it's going to be a little bit different than you had anticipated and digital assets very much has that feeling right now i don't think and you, you may have seen this coming because you live and breathe this and your team does every day most people did not see nfts coming right it was sort of this perfect mix of People were home and the UIs were, you know, better suited for retail investors and, you know, the unemployment was high. So people had a lot more free time. And then Mark Cuban started tweeting about it. And it just, I don't know how you predict that. Maybe you guys did. Hopefully you guys did, right? I'm sure you did. But it was just this perfect storm that we had no idea. Most people at least had no idea was coming. Um, yeah, that was, um, we did have a, a, a team member. If you ever want to get deep on NFTs, uh, talk to Sasha Fleischman. Uh, we're incubating a uh, a fund strategy that he's been working on uh, for a while, and this was way way before any of this. And he was fascinated on some of the value propositions, and a lot of it outside of art and some of the things that have become you know very hot. But you know, digital land, um, pay for play, uh, gaming how you make your time and work portable, portable identity. So there, there's some very fundamental things outside of even the art, you know, headline grabbing thing. But there, what you're capturing there, though, is that marriage between a truly useful and innovative thing that then captures the zeitgeist um, and people's imagination um, and a narrative that's happening. And that's what people often overlook, that timing, um, and that connection between that. And it's very hard to hit it exactly, right? Because how do you you know, pick um, what becomes a gigantic trend? But being in the right neighborhood, like you say, that quote is about the tide is moving, um, get in the boat, 
You know, like the number one thing that we found with our sophisticated investors um, is Arca is basically an education and information um, process to bring institutional investors into this space. Um, the number one thing about getting any of this for any of our sophisticated clients is getting off zero in some way. Um, it, you, it's very easy to intellectualize of, oh, how I would feel about this and, and what are the benefits of Solana versus this. And you talk about it when you all of a sudden have something like this, either through a fund like ours or holding it yourself and are interacting it with yourself, driving personal PL. This focuses your attention and your mind share in a way that you can you like you could have thought about the tide and the boat the whole time get in the boat um put a little at risk this is what i think is the number one thing and the people that actually have done this are much more fluent um involved uh things like nfts make more sense to them uh, it, it's it's just human nature you don't you don't focus and think about you know what you don't have <laughs> you know it's a, it's a different type of exercise so, Rain, where is um, obviously we're going to talk a little bit about um, digital assets as an investment and as an opportunity, really for everyone. Now that investing has become kind of so mainstream and accessible from a, you know, from a from a small amount of investment to the institutional players putting billions of dollars in. Outside of the investment context, where is the opportunity for a um, for an entrepreneur in their business? Where's a good place to start to dip a toe in the water prior to just, you know, investing in a in a in a fund or in a digital asset itself? Sure. Um, as far as digital assets, um, you know, not just for investment, for you know, the promise behind it, um, the energizing of a business, stakeholder alignment, things like that. So it would be first really thinking about the business itself what type of business it is, what type of entrepreneur it is. If it's um, something with repeat business or where a loyalty program um, might make sense. Um, if there is a capital markets functionality around it or a way to align stakeholders. Um, so some examples of this that you know might uh, generate some ideas and a lot of them have to do with digital assets, but that's just the nature of the space. You know, the things that become big first have an ecosystem of people that are interested in digital assets, but the concepts are portable to all of these things. So um, as an example, uh, everybody's probably heard of Coinbase um, that's looking at this. You know, this is the large uh, retail exchange, um, you know, that recently went public. Um, it, it really, it's, its best value proposition was it's been around the longest, um, you know, and that was a great idea, um, but not everybody can be first and around the longest. So an example, of a competitor Coinbase is a company called Binance. Um, and Binance is also a centralized uh, digital asset exchange where people trade digital assets with each other for currencies and others. Um, but the difference between Binance um, really and Coinbase, one of the fundamental differences is that they had a token. They had a token called BNB, which is the Binance token, which allowed, which accrued certain benefits uh, to users. So they designed the token where a certain amount of the exchange revenues would go to the token holder, so a cash flow. Um, a certain amount of the tokens would be 
what we call in this space burned, which is the equivalent of a share buyback, so destroyed, so a deflationary method, so those cash flows and benefits would be accrued over a smaller portion of the tokens. And then you also got reduced trading fees on the Binance exchange if you held the token. So they created a bunch of incentives um, that made it very beneficial to hold the token. And predictably, the value of the token went up. Um, but what you also had here was um, Binance was one of the fastest growing companies to a unicorn status in history because every shareholder or token holder became evangelists. Um, you, you create a real ownership feeling um, in the Binance community by energizing it with a token. So they're participating in the revenues. Every person that they put into Binance is actually beneficial to them. Um, so this is a like a self-fulfilling flywheel. And they were able to finance uh, Binance by offering Binance tokens, a much more capital efficient and directly, um, you know, way of growing than, you know, constant rounds of venture capital. Um, so you had a, a fast growing ecosystem that was energized. Now that's an example that's in digital assets. Um, and that's what people have to realize that it's still a little early just to take a traditional business and say, hey, we're going to put a token on it. You, you, there has to be some point at this at this stage of digital assets where your ecosystem at least has to understand digital assets and tokens, or you're fighting too big of an uphill battle. But it doesn't mean you can't be looking out into the future of thinking how my business will be energized or start to interact with people or think of creative ways. So Binance is just a great example of how an energized business can grow so much faster uh, with a token. Well, you know, it, it certainly is early, and that, that mostly goes back to the education gap, right? You think about traditional retailers, um, you know, we'll just use Walmart, right, as the biggest example. Walmart's customers don't care to own a WAL token or a WMT token, right, a Walmart-specific token that would allow them to have a discount or share in the revenues or profits or however they, Walmart decided to structure it. Uh, but, you know, I think the first company in a non-traditional industry to utilize the technology, everybody's going to look back and say, why didn't we do that six months ago, right? Somebody were to do it very effectively and, you know, and quickly, you think about companies that have scale, right? The Walmarts, the Starbucks, the, Netflix. the McDonald's, right? Whatever it may be, uh, you know, everybody will quickly follow suit after a successful pilot program. Uh, it's just a matter of time and it's a matter of education. Exactly. Mostly. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why I was so excited to see NFTs get so broadly public is, it, is it's this tangible thing, right? Tan tangible, right? You can say that is my piece of art. That is my piece of digital land versus a token. They're like, I don't understand what ETH is. Now you're talking about GUI and gas fees and I don't know what's going on here, right? Uh, th there is an education that, that needs to happen. Yeah, education and connecting with things that people make sense. So NFTs, like you say, people understand art and collectibles. If you if you say there is a one copy of this, of a version of something, people get that. People can understand scarcity in those terms and brought to. And a lot had to do with art and, um, you know, things like NBA top shots and things like that. And what's interesting, I think similarly to 
Bitcoin and digital assets the same way that a lot of the most interesting applications of NFTs are some of the mo more hard to understand ones. Um, but I think those are going to be some of the ones that are more durable. But the narrative being driven forward by things like Top Shots, um, things like digital art, that's what you know gets people to engage in that first part and enter into it. Same way with Bitcoin. Um, we talk about like I was talking about the taxonomy of Bitcoin and it just being one digital asset. People understand money. People understand the transference of money. It is in this environment of runaway printing of money by governments that people can intellectually understand, hey, perhaps having a medium of transference or a money that couldn't be infinitely inflated, that still works as a digital thing, not controlled by anybody, that makes sense. Now, that idea makes sense. Um, ask people to understand hashing, the cryptography that goes in it, public private key encryption. That's not <laughs> the really tractionable idea. It's like, hey, do you want a money that there's not going to be infinite amounts of that everybody accepts? Yes. Yes, I do. And that idea becomes more and more powerful when the other thing that's going on. So that that even though it's a simple application of digital assets, you probably weren't going to get DeFi be the big narrative driver in the same way with NFTs. It's something that captures people's idea. And I think people should think about that when they're thinking about how digital assets can energize their business. How does that narrative like go with your business? How communicable is it? How much time are people going to be spending in the minutia of this? Or does the idea really, you know, drive the, the business forward? Yeah, I mean, that's that's why Coinbase, I feel like, is so successful, is their user interface is incredibly simplistic, right? I, you know, and I don't mean this as a knock against Coinbase. I have a Coinbase account, but most sophisticated traders don't use Coinbase, right? Because it doesn't have all of the tools required to make real investment decisions, especially short-term investment decisions. And, uh, you know, there's better platforms out there for it, but it is the lowest common denominator for anybody who's looking to get, I mean, that was the first wallet I made, right? Was first Coinbase. wallet I had too. And then I immediately transferred it out somewhere else because I realized I didn't have everything right. I needed to. Right, but it got you off zero. And, and in people in the Coinbase ecosystem are way, way more sensitive to simplicity and ease and it working than fees other complexity, and it's only once you really go down the digital asset rabbit hole do you thirst for you know that more um, stuff. We are still so early. I still I don't even remember what the penetration like numbers of people owning any sort of digital asset is. It is tiny in a number, and then when you look in assets on an asset level, we are you know it's two trillion dollars, um, and we're talking about financialized assets are I don't know somewhere in like. 15 trillion 1500 trillion or whatever the hell that number is um like a google trillion um th this is like super super early super early yeah especially when you start to look at derivatives in the financial market but the numbers of actual assets out there are uh, it's it gets it gets a little ludicrous it does <laughs> It gets a little ludicrous. Okay, so you you have obviously been successful now building two financial products. Wisdom Tree was an oversimplification, right? But it was a set and basket of financial products available for retail and institutional consumers. And now here you are with with Arca, right? Providing institutional grade investing strategies uh, in the digital asset space 
because you're right, I don't like using cryptocurrency necessarily, especially especially with the diversified approach that, that ARCA has. Uh, so talk to us a little bit about what it looks like to build a team that is focused on developing digital assets, digital asset products, I should say, uh, you know, and, and how you guys go about implementing and, you know, deliver services to your customers. Sure. Um, it's an, in, it was a very interesting proposition, completely different than wisdom tree. So wisdom tree, like you said, uh, similar asset manager, um, there we were focused on ETFs, um, you know, similar concept, the intersection of this technology, um, and the type of people that were interested in, uh, digital assets at the time of founding. And even now made it very difficult to find people. Um, and I'd say part of, we have three founders at, uh, ARCA, uh, our CIO, Jeff Dorman, who runs the investment practice, our CLO, our chief legal officer, Phil Liu, who keeps abreast of regulatory and keeps us, you know, not running afoul of the SEC, um, and myself, um, and I have experience in branding um, and distribution. Um, what we all discovered in kind of our, um, you know, investigations of digital assets were, I think we were all unprepared for how kind of unprofessional at that time a lot of the potential participants were. Um, we had all come from regulated financial service firms where, you know, you had to be licensed. There was huge oversight. Um, everybody was quite well paid, um, but there were huge risk and reputation issues for using a new player. I, I alluded to this at the beginning, even doing wisdom tree, um, a huge part of it was being around a certain point of time because there was allocators that are like, I will not be fired for using Merrill Lynch. And you're telling me your value proposition is slightly better risk adjusted returns <laughs> you know it's like come back in three years when your company grows up i was like okay um that was you know a, an interesting look it was insanely different in um digital assets especially for financial services this was a um kind of a technology that came out of technologists and slightly anarchistic um just not people that generally appealed to or even agreed with things like financial regulation and things like that so i think we were unprepared for um how kind of unprofessional or at least for our business that the the potential people that we were going to work with were that was the first thing we learned yet the early industry was coders right it was not ceos it was not uh, market participants. It was not investment bankers. It was not wealth managers, people who understood financial markets. It was people who knew how to code. And they said, this smart contract sounds good. Like it would be useful. And that's all I got. Right. Exactly. Um, and that is just not a general trajectory for uh, institutional grade financial products. Um, so that whole the build of it, and this is why you saw so much energy in the retail side. It was people with less high risk thresholds, just a completely different look. To bring these other, the big money, pensions, endowments, um, you know, high net worth individuals into it, you really had to uh, change uh, the, the quality of the offering, um, you know, the educational effort and all of that. So the team that we built, um, it was, a lot was built on people that we had personal relationships in some way, a known quantity. Um, there was a high uh, selection for passion about this. Uh, initially, uh, 
there was not a lot of money um, in this. Um, you really had to have people that were very passionate about this. This is a space that is 24-7. Um, and it's, you know, you, so high motor, high passion. And then the amount of trust, you know, this is billed as like a trustless technology where you no longer have to trust a third party or an intermediary. That is true, <laughs> you know, it's purest form, but in the way a company interacts with it, you are constantly, if you're not one person, you're trusting various people throughout this um, with a lot more trust and less checks and balances than you do in the traditional financial system. So, um, you know, it takes people of tremendously high ethical, um, you know, fiber for this. So that was what we really focused on was transparency, competency, um, and trust and people that would really do that. Um, and so that was hard. It was hard to find people. Um, and that core group, you know, attracted some great people. And then as our networks got more energized and interested in this space, uh, we started to become a place that people both in our networks and adjacent to our networks uh, would seek out. But we've had very few um, not known quantities hires uh, at, at ARCA. It's been mainly people with some sort of way to do diligence and check that person. Um, and it's it's just different in this space. There are not deep benches uh, in it. Uh, you really have to find um, the people and get very comfortable uh, with them. Yeah, digital assets had this shift a few years ago where everybody was, privacy is key. You'll never know what my, even my public wallet key is. You'll never know what my investments are. And the shroud has sort of been lifted in the last few years where if a project launches and you don't have the names of the founding members, right? They just have their, their online personas. It's usually a cause for pause for a lot of investors. Like why aren't you staking your reputation on this project that you've now said is the best thing, you know, best thing in the world. Uh, so that, that has definitely been a big shift and I imagine helpful for building a team because now you can, if maybe not work with that individual, talk to them about their protégés that are looking for a new project or, you know, maybe they now teach a class at UTD, which is the University of Texas in Dallas, uh, whatever it may be, right, as a way to generate talent. And the other thing I'll say to that is I know that you guys are taking it in line with your institutional grade investment approach. I mean, how many CFAs do you have on staff now for the total team? There's two, right, that, that manage, uh, manage the portfolio, which has got to be a unique value proposition for digital asset managers. I mean, the CFAs have a, a intrinsic value of market or understanding, excuse me, of market mechanics and, and how to bring value to the portfolio. A hundred percent. We do have two CFAs. Um, the other, um, at least in our business, a skill set that has seemed to have been portable and interestingly relevant. Um, our CIO, as I mentioned, Jeff Dorman, who's really um, behind the intellectual investment practice, um, he comes from a fixed income background um, that people, especially on the investment side, that dealt with esoteric fixed income um, and used to individual covenants and that all debts are 
kind of their own thing. There's something about that experience on the investment side um, that is more portable um, in this. Um, outside of those, you know, and this is why I talk mainly about um, soft, non-measurable skills. Everybody that comes into this space has to learn a tremendous amount. Um, there's almost nobody, and we almost wouldn't even want anybody with a tremendous amount of digital asset experience because we do things quite differently. Um, so we're looking for more capabilities um, and a way somebody is in a flexible mind than um, a specific digital asset skill set coming in because most of that actually has to be learned here and that's not even arrogant we're learning like the digital asset fund was started three years ago um, with an idea the the idea of it the ecosystem the people that would be interested in it those things didn't even really exist at that time and a lot of what we did over the beginning of the digital asset fund was was learning this the, the thesis that we had that you could invest in these different protocols that were real projects that weren't just Bitcoin or you know something else um, that there was ways to value them these ways to value them didn't exist you know we're still creating stuff there is no Graham and Dodd in this space so it's in my mind it's still more important that that motor the passion integrity um, for us team chemistry is hugely important um, also in this virtual world um, we're not probably ever going back to a uh, you know in-person office that's a mandatory come in uh, there is zero people at ARCA that I'm watching uh, for productivity I have to monitor to make sure people are taking enough time off um, getting away from screens engaging with healthy non digitized life, you know, just to make good decisions and sanity. So if you have somebody that you think um, that monitoring them closely is going to be the difference between them being successful in this and not, that is immediately uh, a red flag. And I would also, uh, one last thing, humility. Um, this is a space where you really have to accept that there's a lot that you're not going to know. Um, it's hard to predict. Um, and, you know, to really be humble. Uh, in front of it. It's evolving too fast to have really dogmatic, um, you know, strident views about where it's going. So I think that's important too. So, uh, Rain, what I'm kind of hearing, and this is a theme we've heard on every one of our podcasts, is that culture inside an organization is um, is really paramount, right? And that starts at the top from, say, from having a clear direction, um, both from an organizational set of goals, this is the type of product we're going to do, but also a culture from a... Here's how we accomplish those goals with transparency, with some work ethic, with some dedication to the mission. Um, you know, obviously a, a big theme in, in uh, your discussion about uh, how to build a team is flexibility and agility uh, and, and being able to be wrong, but also when you see that you're right, plowing forward ahead. So what are some, what are some of the tactics to um, translate some of that culture to energize a customer base, to really, you know, we've talked a lot about education, about how such a nascent in industry like this requires a lot of education. What are some of the things that you can do to uh, to market to potential customers to drive some of that adoption once you um, have your first foray in the digital assets and have kind of built your team? Um, I can I can use what what we do here, and I think it's applicable to everything here, and. The number one thing I think is 
engagement um, and transparency. With something as new as this, like you said, the, the, the early inclination was a lack of transparency, a hiding of identity, a you know obscuring of what you do. In a space that's this early um, and kind of there's no uh, codex of information or even agreed upon taxonomy or lexicon of how we talk about things, there's the number one thing of preventing people from adopting it is not understanding it and not having the tools or the confidence that to look into it and see what is going on. So the, the I can tell you what has driven our adoption. Uh, prior to this, um, I was directly running our distribution efforts. Um, and then a key critical hire um, at ARCA was our head of distribution and investor relations, Peter Hans. Um, who had a incredibly unique, and just to show you how you don't know the background that is going to make this work, you know, he was the CEO of a fintech startup called Harvest. Uh, he had worked closely with Jeff Dorman uh, in the past. He had also run a, you know, a political consulting type of thing. He ran some sales efforts at FBR, um, but his, he very much understood about how to build a consistent, transparent uh, communication effort that was scalable. So we spent, a, he, we, the royal we, spent a lot of time, um, you know, instilling that in people that we hire on the distribution team. You never say, if you don't know something, you say you don't know. Um, you know, we're building a, an experience with ARCA investors where they can trust 100% of what we do. And you don't get 100% of trust if you betray it even once. You know, it's a constant building of that over the time that's slowly built and accumulated that's evaporated very quickly. So his instilling of this, um, his engagement with our clients, his uh, institution of our one-on-one -on -one uh, monthly calls where NELP can interact with Jeff and the portfolio team and ask questions, where we're very transparent about our investment practice, distributing case studies, where we're communicating about uh, returns mid-months where LPs may be concerned, sometimes good, hey, we're up 40%, that's fantastic. Sometimes not great, we're down 20% in this and that's the nature of this, but we want you to know and understand that. So. This communication path of transparency, um, engagement, um, really letting our clients know what's going on gives them the comfort. I've seen this. We've had tremendous inflows. We've had not one redemption, uh, even in a period as volatile as last period. Um, the only one redemption we had was a fund of funds who they had redemptions, and so they needed to redeem. But that was not a universal experience. And what we're hearing from our clients is that ones that are in multiple funds is that the experience and the transparency and the comfort that they get, whether it's their money or a fiduciary of other people's money, has given them tremendous comfort to be even exposed in a minimal amount and potentially write bitter, bigger checks. I've also seen it um, in follow-on business where we spent a tremendous amount of time contextualizing the digital assets fund. Our next offering, the digital yield fund, has been much quicker for adoption because people are now associating that with the ARCA brand, that we're not gonna bring our clients a substandard 
thing. And even something as crazy as a yield product based on digital assets, they know that that has everything that went into the digital assets fund and that experience around it. Um, but I'd say that was really that transparent engagement um, with our LPs was what helped. And Peter was really instrumental in that. As a, I can personally attest to the world-class communication that your team and Peter put together. I read every blog, every newsletter, and try and join the webinars, although those don't, those don't always happen just from conflicts. It is a wealth of information, if only just to continue my learning, right? And then I also love looking at the 40% month-over-month returns that, that, that pop up. Uh, it definitely does not hurt. Right. But, uh, you know, all in, right. I have shifted from, you know, reading, you know, like medium articles or other blogs following other influencers in the space or knowledgeable people in the space to spending majority of my time reading and listening to Arca's research and recaps and explanation of market dynamics as they happen, because it is, uh, it is better. It's more relevant in my opinion than, than a lot of the other information that you see out there. Uh, and you're totally right. You know, there are um, there are a lot of good things that come from you know having a strong brand. And you guys have done a great job. Let me just personally attest to that. Thank you. I'm glad that's resonating. And I can definitely say that culture that you say starts with me. It, it really it was a, a I ended up in this seat through like a team of rivals type of um, exercise, and I was just most appropriate for it. The culture here which I also just think is incredibly helpful and durable and powerful, while not always easily directable, like through a charismatic uh, CEO, is radical ownership um, by the employees and stakeholders at ARCA. Um, people that way far outweighs their actual equity ownership in this company, that they believe that they direct and have ownership over this brand um, and these interactions. This is not everybody behaves um, like a basically a, a sole owner and um, how careful they are um, with the brand. It, it comes up with its own set of challenges man managing these animals. Um, but, um, you know, you really don't get anybody being careless with it, which is necessary for something like what we're doing. All right. Well, that, that makes up the uh, the brunt of our conversation today. Thank you, Rain, for uh, for sharing your insights and your information here with us this morning. We're going to close the show with our rapid fire question section. We ask all the guests these same five questions at the end of every show. So are you ready? What is the one habit that most contributes to your success? Uh, every morning I make a list of things that have to get done and then order it in the order of the thing I want to do least at the top and do it. This is something my father made us do as children, which was always unpopular. Um, but <laughs> you get those awful things out of the way initially, and it, it just it makes things much easier. Yeah, the rest of the day is good from there. Yep. Dinner with three people, dead or alive? Um, Winston Churchill, Benjamin Franklin, and my father, um, who was a great entrepreneur, and really instilled a love of history and thinking about this. And these were two idols of his. I think it would be a fantastic uh, dinner. Um, and I would just love to, that's the dinner I would have. And yeah, three innovators, it sounds like, in, in their own right. Oh, yes. If you had $1 million to invest anywhere, where would it be? Uh, easily. Um, 
let's say 750 with Jeff Dorman in the ARCA Digital Assets Fund, um, and then a big slug with 250 uh, with uh, Sasha Fleischman and our new NFT offering. Um, and in a, maybe in a year, we'd never have to work again. <laughs> you know, there's no ban on shameless self-promotion. So that's <laughs> no, there's not. That's so where it would not. go, 100%. <laughs> What is the top skill you look for in your team? Um, I mentioned it when we were talking about how to build the team. Um, it's, it's that passion and motor. Um, you would not survive here very long if you weren't really engaged and loved whatever aspect of what you did. And there is no unimportant part to a company. Um, they, every function makes it work. And you know, so people that have passion for what they do in that is the type of thing that you know you can work with anything else. You can learn skills. Uh, you can do that. If if you don't have passion and a drive to do that, that that's hard to inject in somebody. But if you have that, I think you can almost do anything. Yeah, I can't can't teach passion. And this is a little bit of a, a play on a traditional question. But what are your competitors' greatest opportunities? Yeah, I think um, to really think long-term. Um, this is an incredibly early time um, for a transformation like this. Um, anybody that's here, if this transformation continues to happen and the digitization uh, and you know blockchain continues to grow, almost everybody in this space will have success to a certain degree. Um, but if you think long-term, if, you, if you're not short-sighted um, in this, and that you really build things of, of great value to eat your clients or investors and really focus on that and, and don't get caught up in the amount of money to be made right now. I think you can really build some gigantic things. It's very difficult to do in this space. You know, it's fast changing. It fe always feels like you're missing things um, to, to slow down, um, really think long term um, and really think about those very big TAMs that can be done by doing simple things, you know, like what we're doing, trust, transparency. It's a lot of execution, but it's not, you know, rebuilding the wheel or reinventing the wheel. Um, so I think a lot of our competitors get caught up in, oh, we have to have a DeFi offering or, or this. If you think long-term about just building an incredible brand and growing, uh, you'll do really well. Well, thank you, Rain. I, I so enjoyed the conversation. It, it exceeded even my expectations at the beginning. Um, you know, I, I appreciate you you uh, sharing your experience and expertise, um, how to build and how you guys have successfully built a team that is implemented in the the you know newest and fastest growing uh, technological industry that there is, um, and then sharing those the values that you have used to create some customer buy-in. So, uh, thank you for that. Uh, I appreciate the conversation today. Thanks, guys. This was really enjoyable. I loved it. Um, I like the broadness of it. I, I can't wait to come back, talk about things in the future. Awesome. Good to have you on, Rain. More to come for sure. And everybody, if you like what you heard here, visit us on growthtoexit.com or shieldslegal.com and follow us on social media for relevant business content. If you'd like to learn more about Rain and ARCA, you can visit their website at arca, so ar.ca, or follow all of their social media profiles. We'll, we'll include all those in the, in the show notes for you. And join us again in two weeks where we'll be discussing the importance of volunteering, giving back to your community, 
and corporate citizenship with uh, Communities Foundations of Texas. Thanks, everybody.